When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to United Hour, your one-stop shop for all things Manchester United. I'm your host, Nick. I'm Ashwin. And yeah, we're here on our pre-season update show. This is getting recorded on... Well, what day is it? I'm kind of lost at the moment, actually, in the Thursday. middle of uh, Thursday. <laughs> Thursday, yeah, yeah. Totally lost on what day it is. Uh, but yeah, we are recording this on Thursday. Our kind of pre-season tour of USA has finished. And the lads are now back in Manchester, so we'll have a look at some of those pre-season games. Also, obviously, got the transfers to talk about. A couple of new signings since our last show. Uh, looking at which players might still be going out. Where are we happy with the squad? A few other bits and bobs to talk about the club. There has been slight canon news, although not really on like the takeover and the Glazers situation. So, yeah, we'll have a chat about all this stuff and then... There is still a couple of pre-season games left to go before we actually start the season. Uh, but look, let's start with the signings. That's what everybody wants to know about. I know you and Jamie did your Transfer Muppets podcast uh, maybe about 10 days ago, I think. Mm. Um, you covered Mount pretty well over there, so we won't talk too much about Mason Mount. Uh, you were already kind of expecting Onana, although it hadn't officially been announced. Uh, of course, it has now been official. He yeah. has made his debut. Um, I know that you were top of the list of wanting rid of David De Gea, <laughs> so you must be very happy to be getting this. And yeah, the complete opposite type of goalie. I think it's been really obvious from just his first game, couple of appearances, that he is totally the opposite. He's coming out the box. He's playing very high up. He loves passing the ball. I saw he's at like 90-something passing accuracy uh, for the game versus Real Madrid, whereas... David De Gea's average was something around 69%, maybe 70 something like that. So an absolute vast, vast difference on like the passing side. But yeah, some people are questioning, look, he's a goalie. Can he save goals? It was maybe that first goal against Madrid that he was a bit out of his box and got chipped for it. Um, but I don't know. where. How are you feeling about Onana coming in? Uh, I feel great. I feel great. Uh, I thought that their first goal was, it was offsides. He was outside, but like, a mile um so yeah i mean is it a little concerning he got chipped maybe but i would rather i you know what after years of in that same spot De Gea is staying on his line um he's not putting any pressure on on bellingham maybe that's the right move there i don't know i just know i'm excited to see something different and uh i think the passing has been everything that we were sold like that that's what we were told and we've seen all of it so um, I'm really, really excited by what we've seen of him. And I actually think you're seeing, I think some of the defenders almost need to adjust to the fact that they can pass back to him. Like, that's that's fine. They, they don't. It, this is not a De Gea situation where if you pass it back, it's probably just going to be a long ball. Like, he, he's able to play out from the back. 
And I think that's actually, you know, he got mad at Maguire in that one play. But I actually think the the big issue was Maguire was trying to, like, play forward, and he didn't really have the time or, or space to, and he didn't even have options. And he could have just gone back to Onana, and he would have been fine. And I really think that was the, the mistake there. And I think that's, it sounds stupid, but I think that's something that they need to get drilled out of them and just need experience. Like, so they've all, aside from Lissandro, you know, everybody else has played with De Gea for at least multiple seasons as the keeper. And so you get used to making certain decisions, right? It's muscle memory. And I think that it requires a slight recalibration now that you have a keeper back there who, not th- not just that you can trust him, but almost, I mean, you it, it demands that you play the ball back to him because he is so capable of finding passes. And we've already seen him hit some gorgeous long balls, um, play balls through the lines. He, he's just very, and he, play, he plays the ball with both feet. Like he's, he's basically just another outfield player. And, and even though obviously we didn't, win against Dortmund or Real and I however much anybody wants to care about those things it's up to you um but you can already see just like when teams are pressing us they they're not they're not exactly sure how to press Onana um and that opens up a lot of space and that also just creates opportunities for us to really just get the foot on the ball slow the game down and uh, settle ourselves down into possession so uh, I'm very, very excited about what I've seen of him so far, and I think he's going to make a massive improvement in moving us towards the type of style that, that Ten Hag wants to play, which I know, I think he had a comment in preseason how he wants us to be the best transition team in the in the world, and I think a lot of people in the CAF had a meltdown about that, but I, I don't think that he meant like that's a permanent state of affairs. Um but this is still a work in progress, and to become a team that controls the game, uh, I think getting Onana in, yes, he can help us in transition because he can play those balls over the top. We saw that in the Champions League final, right, obviously with Inter. Um, but even from a, a, the perspective of controlling matches, a keeper as comfortable as he is with the ball at his feet is a must. And um, yeah, he's going to help us a lot as we transition forward. Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, that is the big thing, his passing. I know actually David in our kind of podcast group said that he saw one of the best first-time balls he's ever seen from a goalie mm-hmm. in that Dortmund game. And it's that kind of thing we can expect. You know, we've seen um, keepers like Edison, like Allison, actually make assists, yeah. which, you know, you don't normally expect from goalies. But yeah, it's the kind of thing you might see from Onana as well. And uh, I, the, one, be... the one against Dortmund that David's talking about, if Rashford has a good touch on that, He's in. Like, he, he would have been in. So, yeah, like, he'll probably get an assist at some point. Yeah, that's what we want to see. Yeah. Uh, and for people who don't know about his background, he is a Cameroonian international, although he's kind of been in dispute with the international <laughs> team. He said he will not play under the current manager, which I'm quite happy about if he doesn't go off to the do African know, Nations or whatever. But, do you know what the uh, dispute is over? To be honest, I don't. I don't he, uh, know exactly. He he apparently I think this might have been in the World Cup. Um, he was coming off his line like really really high, and I think their managers I think it might be Rigobert Rigobert song, um, and uh, he was like telling him like don't come off your line like that don't just stay back there and so he he wouldn't do it and so he you know he he benched him and started whoever it was and so after the tournament he was just like I'm never I'm not gonna play again until. I'm allowed to do this thing. So that's fine with me. The less he wants to play for Cameroon and it's great for United. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not going to complain too much about that. Uh, this is a player who was actually in Barca's youth mm. academy, La Masia, as a youngster, then went off to Ajax, I mean, two of the best academies in the world. Uh, he obviously knows Eric Ten Hag very well. He then spent a year at Inter Milan and, yeah, went all the way to the Champions League final. So, yeah, he's got a good track record in his background. His CV's looking good. Let's see what he can come and do. And, yeah, the big thing I did really love seeing as well was that immediately he's been happy to come in there, start absolutely demanding more from his defenders and controlling his box. Uh, you know, it's something we often said that De Gea wasn't great at maybe uh, about organising his defence. And, yeah, he's immediately having a go at Maguire. Uh, you know, there were some big mistakes in that Dortmund game, to be fair. All, all three goals were... The goals that yeah. went in, like Lindelof had an awful mistake. Mm. Juan Bissaka had an awful mistake. And, yeah, he's straight on them, straight on them. And, yeah, it did remind me straight away of kind of Peter Schmeichel, who used to be just be absolutely screaming at everybody in front of him. And, you know, pushing everybody I forward. Think, and I think, uh, you know, you mentioned the clubs that he played for. I think that's like a that's a really big... I think that's a big deal because we know coming to United is a big step. Um, but he's played at, you know, Barcelona's, if not the biggest, it's it's one of the biggest clubs in the world. Uh, and it's obviously one of the biggest clubs in Spain, if not the biggest club in Spain. Uh, didn't play for the senior team, but he did come through the academy, which you mentioned is one of the best in the world. Ajax is the biggest club in, in you know, the Netherlands. And then obviously Inter is one of the biggest clubs in Italy and he played at the highest levels with, with Inter, even though it was just for a year. So I think the fact that he's kind of gradually progressed his way up and at every step, it's been a bigger step um, and it's been at the, you know, the biggest or among the biggest clubs in whatever competition he was in. So coming to United, obviously it is still a step up from Inter, but um, it's not, he doesn't seem at all like overawed by, it. you know, he, he comes in, I think, I think he has the appropriate respect for, the club and and what this means but he does not at all seem like he already feels like you know a united like he's been here it doesn't it doesn't feel like he's got to really earn his respect in the in the dressing room or anything like that no and he's definitely a character i've just seen the couple of interviews and post-match i've seen from him i think there's going to be a lot of kind of quotes from him doing the rounds and i think he's going to give us a few heart attacks this season coming out <laughs> with the ball i think he's going to be taking on strikers and he probably will make mistakes there probably will be a couple of goals that go in but as long as he can make up for that by starting attacks and doing the saves he needs to i mean there was actually a couple of good saves in that Dortmund game. He isn't just about the passing, of course. He is a proper goalie as well. Uh, so, yeah, look, I'm also very happy to have him in. And, yeah, we'll see where we go from there. Uh, it's not yet official, but, yeah, Rasmus Hoyland has done his medical today as we talk. So it's all in process. I think there has been delays with work permits and all this kind of thing. He will be a Manchester United player. A fee is agreed. Uh, I know we've actually talked about him even two or three podcasts ago. I mean, right from the start of this window, he was being talked about. I do think, though, that it's a bit of a gamble for a very raw talent. Uh, we've paid a lot of money. Um, what are we at? 58 million going up to kind of 70-ish, something like that, for somebody who's not had a lot of games. Uh, he's 20 years old. But I think it, it does remind me of when we bought Anthony Martial that he'd come off a kind of first season. He hadn't played that much yet, but when he'd played, people were taking note. And yeah, you're paying for potential. And he's he has got all the attributes. He's massive, six foot three. Even with that size, he's still very fast. So he's not like the kind of 
tank like Walt uh, Weghorst, where he's massive and but the slowest player on the pitch. Um, <laughs> he does have a great finish, like I say. There isn't many goals to his name. And people do talk about his record last season in Serie A, but he only really came into the team kind of this year. Um, I mean, Atalanta bought him last summer. He came in from uh, who was it? Somebody in Austria from yeah. the Austrian. I think one of the top, the top, whatever is it? like the one of the bad, yeah, teams Austria, Vienna, somebody like that. Yeah. But yeah, one of the Austrian teams. He'd come in. I think they paid about 15, 20 million for him, and he didn't actually, like I say, break into the team properly till early this year, but. He smashed it this year, got into the Danish squad, also got a really good record already in his few international games. And so, yeah, look, there had been a fight over it. PSG were also bidding. And I think they've now settled for the Portuguese striker uh, that we were kind of linked with as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A little bit. Ramos. Uh, yeah, or whatever so it was. I think, yeah. but, but I think that's it, their second choice. I think he was also their first choice. They were going for him as well. But apparently, yeah, he wanted United. Uh, United are well-supported in Denmark. So, yeah, he's grown up a United fan and wanted this move. Yeah, and I think the fee that they paid for Ramos was €80 million, including the add-ons. We'll see what the actual fee is. I think think it's supposed to be, like, what, 56 with add-ons that could take it to 64, whatever. I I don't really particularly care at this point. Um, We needed a striker. Clearly, he was the one that Ten Hag preferred. I mean, that's been all the reporting is that of the choices we had that were not Harry Kane, because they determined Harry Kane was not feasible, um, Hoyland was the preferred choice. And I think it's fair to have reservations over it. He's, you know, he's not played at the top level for very long. Serie A, as we know, notoriously, um, there are strikers that score there that don't score anywhere else. Um, but to do, I mean, he he did perform admirably. I think his goal-scoring record in matches played isn't great. But if you look at the actual amount of time on the pitch he played, he basically was averaging one goal every two matches. It's like one goal every uh, 180 minutes. So not a terrible record for a striker of his age. Um, and you can see the kind of overall skill set he has. He's not just running. Pa- he, he has obviously the pace to run past uh, defenders and, and play on the last shoulder. But he's able to get the ball with his back to the to the goal and bring others into play, which I think is key for Ten Hag. You know, very specifically, that's something that Ten Hag noted last summer about Martial and why Martial was first choice for him. Um, not that we obviously had great choices, but um, that was something he noted, and I think that's something that Hoyland brings to the table, that he's not just, you know, a target man in the box. And, um, yeah, like, I, it's exciting. I, I think he's an exciting talent. And are you overpaying? Is it the right amount? I don't know. Uh, the prices in Europe and really across the transfer market are so out of whack right now where you're paying for uh, you know proven commodity prices for talented potential young strikers uh this is this fee isn't too dissimilar from Darwin Nunez who sure had a better goal scoring record also played in a worse league and was older than Hoyland so um I don't know like I, I I'm excited by the transfer I understand why people are skeptical about it but I think when you look at his skill set you know the tools he has at his disposal just in terms of his talent his skill uh, and then you look at his physical attributes he's 6'3 he's fast he looks like he's I mean he is strong and he looks like he can be stronger um, I think it's a player to be excited about and I think ultimately we needed a striker this is not a great striker market like it, other than Harry Kane who on the striker market was a proven commodity you know like and and who are you? I mean, I get? guess if you're looking at like Serie A, then the other name that was mentioned a lot at the start of the window, but then there hasn't been 
many tie-up was Victor Ossiman, who mm. obviously had a great season at Napoli. Right, but right. I think you're talking about 100 million plus. I think we probably don't have that budget at the moment. Uh, it's the know, whole that budget, right? Been that, that's what it would have yeah. been. It would have been the whole budget. And at that point, it's like, is that even worth it? Um, like, as it is, we've added three players. And I think to uh, the vast majority of United fans, we would say that, yeah, that's great. But we still could use, you know, another midfielder. We could probably, maybe, if if possible, we could maybe use another defender. But um, the fact that we got these, I think these were the three key positions, whether you agree, disagree with the targets. These were the three key positions they'd clearly earmarked at the start of the window. Um, and they got them done. And I think getting them done before the season starts, getting them done in time to at least even, I mean, Hoyland, yeah, sure. Would you have liked it to happen sooner? Sure. Um, but he did get some preseason in with Atalanta, so his, his conditioning shouldn't be too far off. And the fact that we got all of them in with at least a week of training in before the first match of the season, you can't fault the 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 board, at least in terms of, their willingness and ability to get players. Yeah, in the it is line. definitely an improvement on years before where we were scrambling around at the end of the window. You know, last year we'd already lost two games mm-hmm. before we bought in Casemiro and Anthony and totally overpaid for both of them because it was kind of desperation time. So to get in three players who are all potentially first team starters, I mean, Onana definitely, yeah. Mount and uh, Hoyland will kind of fight for their places. But I think. Mount will start the season for us, and let's I think, see. Do you think Hoyland just? I think Hoyland will just start, like for to start I, the season. I I don't he, know. Let's see. Let's see. He's that. He's very young. He's like say we do still have. Yeah. I mean, I say we have two preseason games, but they're one day after the other. Mm-hmm. So there's only really one game for players to play in. Uh, you know, we'll talk about those games towards the end of the pod. Uh, but yeah, for people who don't know, the two matches left are we are playing Lowndes at Old Trafford on Saturday and then we're playing Athletic Bilbao in Dublin on Sunday. Uh, so they're the two kind of games we have uh, before the start of next season. So he, he should be involved in these games somewhere, Hoyland, you'd expect. Uh, which one he plays in, how many minutes he has, I don't know. I think uh, uh, they said that they're thinking they might do an, like, you know, with Varane, they had the on-pitch announcement of him. I think they might do that Saturday is the rumor. And then I guess if they do that, then Sunday he could play. Um, so that might be how they do it. Well, or if he's there on Saturday, he might as well play on Saturday. But yeah, we'll see. There'll be two squads for that game, those two games anyway. Uh, but yeah, look, I am just happy that we've got a striker. It was absolutely the number one position that we needed to deal with. I mean, I'd still say we're light on strikers. Uh, you know, I think we probably need another one, really, because mm-hmm. Martial has not played even a minute of preseason. He is training, so I don't know where he exa- exactly with his fitness. Uh, <laughs> you know, we'll talk a bit more about actually the games, who's played where and everything in the second part of the show. Um, but look, as I say, for me, it is a bit of a risk. I had said on this podcast before, I was expecting for us to get a more proven goal scorer. But yeah, there wasn't that many out there, you know, after Ivan Tony counted himself out of this market, uh, names like Ollie Watkins were thrown around. Whether he's ready for that kind of step up, I don't know. And we would have paid at least the same amount for him as we're paying for Hoyland. Uh, I know there was links to Kolo Muani, who is a bit more proven, but not that more. I think he's in that kind of 23-24, he is in the French squad, uh, Eintracht Frankfurt. So yeah, again, bit, and again, we're not going to be paying any less for these kind of players that we've ended up playing for Rasmus Hoyland. Um, 
whether we can still go and find some old-time striker to add to the ranks, which has been our usual thing in the last few years. I don't know who's out there nowadays. I saw people throwing around saying, oh, Edison Cavani is available again. But no, he's headed off to um, Boca Juniors. Um, We'll see. We'll see. I still think we are light up front, though, because it means, you know, you're expecting minutes for Rashford up front. Jadon Sancho has been playing there. We don't have anyone from the youth team. I know Hugh Gill has played some minutes up front, but I think that was literally just because he is a striker. I don't think he Oops, has any yeah. chance of being part of our first team yeah. squad. He's and not I, ready I think, for that at all. I think the the reporting was Ahmad is going to stay because he got hurt in preseason. So I don't think a loan for him is on. So it looks like Pellistri will go out and then... Um, Pellistri, sorry. I think he'll go out and then Ahmad will stay in. I mean, we'll see what that means. And we do just need another body, but... Yeah, I, it still feels like I, at the end of the day, the attack is going to feel light as long as you need Sancho and Anthony to be real contributors this season. Like I am okay with what Anthony provided last year because I think you could see that we were better as a team when he was on the pitch. But at the like, look, you, you're getting you're at the top end of the pitch. You need to have some end product. You know, we he, I think he gave us what four goals and an assist in the league or something last year. Like it has to be more than that. You have to be more decisive. He gets opportunities. He gets chances. He has to be more clinical in front of goal. Uh, Sancho. We'll see. Like I actually like what I've seen with him in this preseason. He's looked sharp. He looks physically just better than he has looked at United. Um, but you need those two players to chip in because like you said, even Hoyland, right? A good season for him, given his age and kind of how raw he is. What do you? What would you say? Like fifteen goals, like in all competitions or something? I'd be probably satisfied with that. And Rashford, if he can replicate even anything close to what he did last year, what was it? Thirty goals in all competitions. Let's say he gets twenty-two, twenty-three. Um, you still need goals elsewhere. So it's really, really key that those two in particular, I think, step up. And we need. Let, let's be real. Like Bruno created a ton of chances last year, and he was definitely unlucky to not get more assists. But we need him to get back into his goal-scoring ways too because he did not score enough goals last year. Um, across the front of the pitch, we need more production from those guys. And, um, like, it, Rashford, you can't, you know, <laughs> you can't bank on 30-goal seasons from your wingers. Like, this yeah, is that a, was yeah. his best season right. ever. Uh, if he can do that again, we're not too sure. Uh, he's not done much preseason, but I think a lot of players have been tired yet. The likes of Rashford, Casemiro, who were playing internationals, haven't had much of a rest. Uh, so we've not seen the best of them yet. And I think Eric Ten Hag recognised that these players haven't had enough time off this summer and hasn't played them that much as yet. But no, yeah, you're right. The two, Sancho, Anthony, in particular, the ones who are going to have to step up and start contributing. And yeah, Sancho has had a good preseason, but he did have a good preseason last summer mm-hmm. and then completely disappeared uh, for a few months and kind of was, you know, okay-ish for the rest of the season. But yeah, for Anthony, he's the one who now he's had a year to settle in. He needs to show us what he can really do this year. Uh, he did score the other against Dortmund at least, but yeah, still has a tendency to be picking the wrong options in certain positions. And let's see if we can improve on that. We will take a quick break there in the second half of the show. We'll talk a bit more about who played uh, preseason, who's played well, who are the winners, the losers, and who we expect to be starting the season. So yeah, back for part two of the show. Uh, just to round off, actually, the kind of transfer stuff. I know there has also been a fair bit of rumours around Sofian Amrabat. Uh, 
he kind of broke through at the last World Cup, Moroccan international defensive midfielder. A lot of people saying we need better cover for Casemiro. Yeah, which is true. Um, he's at Fiorentina at the moment. I think this is one where probably there is some interest, but we're going to have to shift one or even two midfielders before anything happens on this side. Uh, it's pretty clear that the likes of Fred and Donny van der Beek are available. Maybe Scott McTominay too. Um, I, I, I actually, out of the three of them, I actually would be happy to keep hold of Scott McTominay as a squad player. Uh, he's somebody who's not going to moan too much about being part of the squad. He's still young. Uh, you can do, you know, different couple of different positions if you need over there. But he has also shown that he's not necessarily going to be that one who is going to sit and be a defensive midfielder and be a good option for filling in for Casemiro. I think he is better further forward. Uh, so yeah, and he's shown that for Scotland as well when he's played further forward. He's got quite a few goals. So yeah, Fred, I would hope to move on and probably Donny van der Beek as well. And then we might see somebody like Sofian Amrabat come in. But look, let's talk about the matches. As a, We started pre-season really well. We beat Leeds, uh, we beat Lyon, we beat Arsenal. Then uh, it all went, well, the results haven't been good. I know we lost to Wrexham. That was a very young team though, basically yeah. the academy. Uh, there was actually quite controversy about that. I saw a lot of people on Red Cafe, your compatriots who were moaning that they'd paid a lot of money to go to this game in San Diego and that we'd basically sent the youth team and they were not happy about it at all. I mean, they were talking about $180, $200 to go and watch the youth team versus Wrexham. But, I mean, to be honest, Wrexham have only just come out of non-league and I I think that's the right kind of match-up. I don't think there was any point in our first team playing against Wrexham but maybe that hat should have been made clear when people were buying tickets and things like that. But it's a whole Hollywood Disney thing about Wrexham nowadays, isn't it? Yeah. With Ryan Reynolds and, and all that. And they were playing Real the next day. Like, really, you're not gonna you're not gonna play your better players against Wrexham over Real. It's just that's just the schedule. There's nothing you can do. Um, yeah, like I think people thought there might be a mix of kind of the squad, and it ended up being a full full youth team. Plus Johnny Evans, let's not forget, actually, yeah, Johnny Evans, who I haven't mentioned, yeah, he might who's come shown up team. all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, who might actually end up getting a permanent contract, a bit of a random one, but I don't mind. Some people have been going on about how embarrassing it is, but to be honest, you're talking about a fifth-choice centre-back. If he was playing every week, I would have an issue with it. I think he's even coming in almost as like a semi-coaching role, you know, experience and all that kind of thing. And maybe, uh, you know, uh, Harry Maguire may still move on. There has been yeah. offers for him. We have and, to see what happens over there. And I think I think Ten Hag seems to really think that having these senior players with experience, um, I think he seems to value that having that in the dressing room. I I, I don't know. I, I I'm not saying it's. I mean, it's it's exactly what you said. Even if Maguire leaves, right? Um, we were talking about this the other day in our in our WhatsApp. But like we saw last year, that Maguire was effective effectively the fifth choice center back as is. Because he played obviously Lissandro over him, Varane, then he played Lindelof over him, and then he played Shaw over him. So if Evans comes in, I don't, and Maguire goes out, I don't think he's your fourth choice. I think he's your fifth choice. So um, I still think it's okay. And I mean, is, is it embarrassing? I, look, are there fans that are. It's not. It's, yeah, not. it's just it's people not. who always moan about everything. Everything is embarrassing. Fine. Everything embarrassing <laughs> is just nonsense. It's fine. It's nothing. Uh, as I say, He's not going to be playing much. He's just there for cover experience, maybe even moving towards some kind of coaching role. Yeah, we will see. Um, I did actually 
I know that Dortmund game was our last game. We lost it. I was a bit surprised by the lineup there it was more or less a second string. A few players who you might say are kind of in the shop window, like there, like Donny van der Beek, like uh, Maguire, Brandon Williams as well. Yeah. He's another one who is surely available for sale, but he's another one where we gave him a ridiculous contract. He's on some crazy wages. And that's why it's difficult to shift him out. But apparently Leeds United are interested. I think that might be a good move for him. I think it's probably time for him All to right. move on. But he did get some minutes in this preseason because um, Malassia has been injured. Uh, so he was there. And that was the only, the one downer for me in preseason was injuries to Ahmad, injuries to Mainu, who was the kind of, Kobe looking, Mainu, yeah, the good. kind of breakout player of this preseason. Ten Hag really put a lot of faith in him, gave him a lot of minutes and, you know, I think it was the real Madrid game where we really saw what Ten Hag is thinking of as our first eleven, And he still started Kobe Mainu there as well. So that was like a big, big vote of confidence in him. And for him to then get injured was a bit of a killer. Yeah, so that was the shame for me because they were two that I really did want to see. Uh, I mean, apart from that, you know, preseason is often about the young players, seeing who might be ready to break through, who's up for it. And the, the other two I was hoping to see a bit more of were Alvaro Fernandez, who'd had a really good year on loan at Preston last year, and uh, Hannibal, who'd also had a good loan in the championship. Neither of them really excelled. I don't think either of them in the kind of times they had showed that they're necessarily ready to come and be part of the first team. They could be squad players, but again, I think they probably are available for sale or at least another loan. And maybe, But they need to be looking at getting a Premier League loan. There's no point in getting another loan in the yeah, championship think, after they've proven themselves there. Yeah, I think Hannibal has been linked to Luton Town. That would actually be a good loan just because they are Premier League and um, yeah, yeah, they probably just need talent and bodies. So I think that would be a good loan for him, assuming that you can somewhat guarantee him game time. Uh, Alvaro Fernandez, I, his situation is weird because he is he what he's nineteen now or is he twenty? Um, whatever he is, but his path into the first team is a little bit murky because we did buy Malasia last summer. Um, but you're right. He needs to go out on loan. And if it's not a Premier League team, it needs to be a top division team somewhere in Europe because going yeah, back... Go, maybe yeah. he could go out to La Liga or something. Uh, I'd be okay with that. But it has to be a step up for yeah. playing in the championship, which he played last year. And he played week in, week out. And he did pretty well over there. I think he got Preston's Young Player of the Year. Uh, so yeah, he had a good season, but it needs to be a step up. There's no point in just the same again. Or... You sell, sell and move on. I mean, there's been a whole load of our academy players shifted on this summer. Axel Tuanzebi, Zidane Iqbal, uh, Ethan Laird. He was one that I had kind of high hopes for. Uh, he's now been sold. Nathan Bishop uh, just left too, right? Yeah, Bishop's gone off to... Sunderland, um, is it? Sunderland. Yeah. His, la- his la- last action for United was puncturing the lung <laughs> of uh, Hayden Mullins at Wrexham. Um, Deshaun Bernard has also gone to the championship at Sheffield Wednesday. And Savage as well. Robbie Savage's son has moved on. So, yeah, there has been a whole load of youth players shipped out. I did did actually think that it was a bit strange that we were only really getting very small fees for the likes of Iqbal, for the likes of Laird. But there is apparently quite big sell-on clauses built in there. Yeah, and I think they put buybacks, buybacks. right? Yeah. Yeah. So if these players do prove themselves... We are first in line to bring them back. And I think we're looking at 40, even 50% of any kind of future sell-on. In fact, um, Chong has made the step up from Birmingham yeah. to Luton. And I think we got quite a few million yeah. from his transfer fee over there. So, yeah, it's the kind of thing I think the club are working at saying, listen, these players aren't getting any game time. There's no point in just loaning and loaning and loaning. 
So yeah, sell and put I think, in those clauses and move on. Yeah, from and there. I, I think if if you do like, I I understand the frustration of like not getting bigger fees for some of these players now, but if you if you do this, and let's say that you know Chong and you know uh, Zidanek Ball and these Ethan Laird, let's say these players do go on and they prove themselves elsewhere and they do get a big move, um, I think it raises the profile of your whole academy. And I think because of that, now the future players who you're looking to sell in your academy might command uh, a higher fee up front because you can point to these other players that you have playing around Europe at a higher level um, and there's kind of trust in the ped- pedigree of your player. City are reaping the benefits of this now, right? Where like, they, I think when Sancho left City, he didn't leave for very much. Um, obviously, he had a great time at Dortmund I, and he's not the only one. They've had a lot of players leave, but now you're seeing them get really substantial fees for players who have virtually no senior experience coming straight from their academy. Yeah, there, there does seem to be a bit crazy going on in some of these City players. And, you know, there is conspiracy theories out there about dodgy FFP, uh, financial fair play kind of loopholes they're going to. Uh, you know, a lot of money was paid for their reserve goalie who's gone off to Burnley. To that be one fair, was very weird. He, <laughs> he did have a brilliant... Uh, England under 21s tournament who won the Euros this summer and he was a standout player for them so he is kind of rated but he wasn't the only one there's a couple of other players who've Someone, barely been yeah. heard of Borges just like, went to Ajax right yeah. yeah for like quite a decent yeah. amount of money and uh, you know a lot of people are saying this is another way for Manchester City to get around financial fair play regulations but yeah who knows um, I mean we do need to sell some more players there's only really been Alango. We got a decent fee for about 15 million. He's gone off to Nottingham Forest. I think yeah, he had Hender- the choice. Hen- yeah, we need a Henderson needs to go, and Fred like Fred should go. He's not going to play, so he needs to go. Uh, Van de Beek. Uh, if- Tellez has gone. We got right. a few million for yeah. him. He went off to join Ronaldo in uh, <laughs> Saudi Arabia. Uh, we have, of course, rejected a bid for Harry Maguire. Rejected a deal for Henderson, but I think. They're only really offering a loan at the moment. I think they, maybe yeah, it seems like they want to do a loan with an obligation to buy. But I think the standoff is what the terms are to trigger the obligation. I think United want, you know, a lower number of matches, and Nottingham Forest want him to have to play something like thirty matches. Um, so I think I do think something will happen there. Apparently, their owner promised him last summer that he would they they would make sure that they transferred him in. He seems like he had a good. They seemed like they liked him a lot, and he liked Forrest a lot. So I feel like that will happen at some point. And I, I just can't imagine him at this point. You know, he's so obviously second choice now. In a way, like, at least when he kind of broke through under Ole, he could maybe feel like, okay, I can unseat De Gea. But there's no chance he's going to unseat Onana. There's absolutely no chance. So you know he's going to push for a transfer. So I do think that one will get done. And, you know, like you said, we know that, they want to. They, it seems anyway that Ten Hag wants to get an Amrabat um, from what is it, Fiorentina, and so you know these player sales are critical to financing that with FFP and everything. So these players that really have no future at United, they need to be sold, even if it's not the ideal fee to get whatever funds you can in now. Um, and and it's just good business to do it. So hopefully these get done because and you know the Maguire one. I think the big standoff there is apparently there's some kind of big power struggle at West Ham with this technical director they've bought in and obviously our uh, good friend David Moyes. So uh, hopefully Moyes will win out that battle so that he can spend on Maguire. 
Yeah, I think they'd offered 20 million and to, I, I can totally understand rejecting that. I mean, I know he's become a comedy figure and people will say, take anything we can get for him and get him out. But no, I think that's, that's not enough for Harry Maguire. He's an England starting international. So 20 million is derisory. Uh, the problem again is he's on crazy wages. So that's why clubs are offering less because if they have to match any kind of wage packet we've given these players, they can't afford the upfront fee. Uh, so yeah, that is the problem. So always that's the, always the problem with all these players we want to get rid of. There, which is they're all on mental yeah. wage packets. Which is a good thing about uh, both Onana and Hoyland. Both of their wages are fairly low. So I think this is something that at least they've made some inroads on trying to address this. Um, yeah, it does seem there. we do have to give some credit to the board. Uh, you know, we, it was only last summer and the end of last summer that we finally saw the kind of end of Ed Woodward, and now it's that team of Murtor and Richard Arnold, who are working on all this kind of stuff. And it has definitely been an improvement, like I say, to get three players in before the start of the season. It's been a long time since we've done that. I mean, I said we bought, uh, we had Mount sealed in June, and it was the first time since Fred that we'd bought in a player in June. Uh, you know, we are now in August, got two more in. We have to see. But yeah, there's still another month left of the transfer market, so there will definitely be other players going out yet. Uh, there's other players as well that you forget about. We still own Eric Bailly. I'm sure everybody's forgotten that he still exists, but he is still officially a Manchester United player and maybe some Saudi Arabian team wants to bring a pot of money for Eric Bailly. Please do. He's available. I think, yeah, we've not really got enough of this Saudi money this summer. I feel, uh, you know, City have got some of this Saudi money. Uh, Liverpool have got way too much of it. Uh, Newcastle, whatever. I think we need to get a bit of this Saudi Arabia money that's sloshing around uh, so we can spend some of it. You know, six million for Tellers isn't really touching the sides. So, yeah, I don't know uh, who they're going to come in for or who might go out there. But, yeah, definitely we do need to see some players going out. And I could still see a couple of signings come in in the next month depending on who leaves but yeah there's a lot of focus as well on the some of those younger players who can be part of the squad who needs to go out on loan uh we'll see from there but the, the one positive thing at least is you know we talked a lot on previous shows about the takeover and everybody was worried that if the glazers hadn't gone if we hadn't had a takeover that it would affect our transfer business and thankfully it doesn't seem to have it has been kind of business as usual. As I say, Myrtle and Arnold have been allowed to get on with things. Mm. And I do think there has been some limitations on budget. If, you know, Sheikh Jassim had taken over, would we have had the money to go for a Victor Ossiman? Or maybe would we have even had the money to start slapping down money for Kylian Mbappe? I don't know. You know, <laughs> it's all like hypothetical. But I'm sure we would have had more budget than we've had. But at least deals have been done. And, you know, money has been spent, so we can't complain too much. Yeah, and, and even, I think, I, I don't know who exactly was saying, it might have been Richard Arnold. There was some kind of meeting earlier this week. But I think they were talking about how um, the club wasn't limited by ownership. The club was limited, limited by FFP, which is still obviously limited by ownership, like previous windows. But but I, I, I get the sense that, um, I, and I'm honestly, like, it's not like they gave Ten Hag, you know, 50 million and told him to go figure it out like they gave him a legitimate budget he's he's within the, within the parameters of that budget i think that united have done fairly well we'll see obviously how yeah, we, we are spending yeah. the best part of 200 million quid to be fair right so it's not like we're out with our pauper hat to begging <laughs> with a begging bowl or something like that yeah. and yeah, yeah for people who don't understand on the financial play, fair play side 
the reason we've actually been hit by this stuff is all to do with COVID, to be honest. Uh, it, it wasn't that clear for a while, but we have now actually had a fine. But it's all COVID related. And it was all to do with the fact that how many, how much losses you were allowed to write off under COVID. And COVID hit us much more than nearly any other club because of that loss of match day revenue. And, you know, ours being the biggest stadium in the Premier League we had the biggest loss of match day revenue of any club pretty much. And that was the big kind of sticking point. So it's not something that's going to keep affecting us going forward. This is all just about things that happened in those kind of in that COVID section. So it's not going to be a problem in future seasons, even if the Glazers do say, which we don't want, but it's looking like it might be an option. Uh, but yeah, there has been news saying there is still takeover talks going on. And yeah, we'll have a bit more chat about that towards the end of the show. But yeah, that is what these financial fair play problems are. It all relates to that COVID season where we didn't have any match day revenue. You know, I know as a season ticket holder that the club had to refund me for on a match by match basis for games that didn't happen. And that's the same for season ticket holders all across. So yeah, that is what happened. And that was the problem. The club was basically saying that they, we should be allowed higher losses for those years. And for whatever reason... Uh, the Premier League... Oh, sorry, UEFA did not allow that. Whereas the Premier League did, mm. but UEFA didn't. So that's why we still had a bit of a kind of thing on that side. But that won't affect us after this whole bit is kind of out of the way. Uh, we will take another break there before we come back at the last part of the show. As I say, we'll round off a bit about these couple more preseason games coming up, talk a bit more about TakeOver and a few of the bits and bobs, yeah, United Women as well. A few of them are currently in action at the Women's World Cup and uh, we'll give them a mention. See you after the break. Back for part three of the show. We were talking about the takeover stuff. Uh, everything went very quiet on that. I know a lot of fans started thinking the Glazers are staying. They're not going anywhere. There has been a bit of news coming out this week that basically said, look, there is still talks going on. There is still negotiations happening. It's not dead in the water. I think the sticking point is still basically that nobody has offered the Glazers the amount of money they want, which is probably around £6 billion. We know that Sheikh Jassim, the 92 Foundation, and Sir Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos have put offers on the table. We think they're somewhere around 5.5. So they're not a million miles away, but yeah, maybe 5 to 5.5. Um but they're not hitting that Glazer valuation. There has been a couple of things that have happened since then. Uh, this Adidas deal has been announced, a new 10-year deal, 900 million. I think these kind of things will contribute to these takeover talks because it's probably something that, you know, the Glazer side said, look, this deal is coming and they're kind of factoring it in. Whereas the likes of Sheikh Jassim right. and Sergio Ratcliffe are saying, well, look, until it actually happens, we're not, we're not factoring yeah, that We're, we're not going to put the book value on it, right? Yeah, but now it is happened. It is official. So now they can go back and say, yeah, well, look, give us an extra half a billion. <laughs> uh, it's also been clear that the art, there had been a lot of work done in the last couple of years before COVID of going to architects for redesigning Old Trafford, right. either as a refurbishment, either as a rebuild. And quotes we know were coming in somewhere around the kind of billion pound mark for rebuilding Old Trafford. Uh, that's not actually my preference. I would prefer that they kind of refurbed, which is what's happening at Real Madrid, which is what's happening at Barcelona. Both of those clubs are keeping their stadiums and doing big refurbs at the moment. So it is possible. 
Um, what I understand is that architects have been asked to go back and look at new options. And I think they're probably looking at more of a cheaper refurb than a kind of rebuild. Uh, and I would be okay with that. I prefer to keep Old Trafford, all the history, just modernize, get things up to date. I don't, I don't even think it makes sense to... Because to, buying a new, like a, a new patch of land can't be easy in manchester to be yeah. honest we don't actually need to buy a new patch of land like we united do actually own enough land okay. to build a new old trafford right next to the current one we have enough land to do that it's actually not a problem in terms of you know car parking space and whatever there is enough land for us to build a new stadium if we really wanted to uh, the club did buy a fair bit of the surrounding land over the years so that's not an issue if somebody did want to go down that route. Uh, it's not like, you know, other clubs like Tottenham Arsenal yeah, right, had to right. find completely new sites and it was a big problem for them. We don't have to do that. We have enough space within like the Old Trafford area to already build a new stadium if we wanted to do that. Uh, but yeah, apparently architects have been authorised to go and put out yeah. new proposals. And I think that's probably been one of the issues that I think the likes of the buyer's uh, Jasim, Jim have come out and they've obviously said to the Glazers, look, there's massive investment needed in this club. How can you expect us to pay six billion plus one billion for the stadium plus whatever training ground yeah, and, and you know, I think to, more money? Yeah, and to be fair, I think some of this, like the, the training ground and the facilities, I think they've actually have invested in those in the last couple of years, um, which is a start. But I mean, they still need to build facilities, separate facilities for the women, if I'm if I remember correctly. Um, that's still something that they're working on. So there's, yeah, like you're, you're right. There's, it, this is the hardest part of the negotiation, right? Because the club has its valuation, the stadium is worth X, but, but it's these operating costs that the Glazers are almost trying to pass on to the next owners while not taking anything off the table in terms of what they're asking um, for the asking price. So it's, I still think they want to sell, but you're right. Like it's. I think another one that was mentioned, I think there might have been a business article about this um, last week about how there's a, I think there's a new Premier League TV deal coming in the next year or two. And the feeling is, you know, those rights are going to come in and they're going to be more, like even more massive than they are now. And they feel like because of that, uh, you know, the price they're, they're asking for is more than fair. So it's, it's all like, I, we see this over here in the NBA because, uh, they just like th- there's a new TV rights deal in two years, so there's like an aggressive um, kind of. There's a few owners that have put their teams up quietly or have sold controlling stakes, and um, there's a feeling that like you know in two years those deals might even not look that big because you have this huge TV deal coming in. I think for the Premier League, obviously, as we know with how big the global appeal is, that that deal could be massive. And and yeah, I, I just think it's there's all this other side of selling the club and buying the club that isn't related to just, you know, the, the tangible assets that I think is the hardest part of the negotiation. Yeah. And it is a killer that we are sat here at the mercy of six Glazer siblings <laughs> sat out and I'm blaming you for this. Yeah. <laughs> you, you sat out in USA. I am but, a Glazer yeah, actually. No. <laughs> People don't know this. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, look, it is a sad state of affairs that this is what it's come to that. Yeah. Six brothers and sister, uh, arguing over how much they want to make out of Manchester United, how many billions of profit they want to take out of it. Uh, but yeah, that is where we find ourselves. And uh, it yeah, we want... And isn't it like, it's not... It, it's it's just 
Joel and uh, Avram, right? That that are like the two, or whoever the brothers are. But it's I think the other four want. It seems like the reporting is the other four are fine selling. That's what yeah. that's what's that's what is understood. There is also Brian Glazer who has shown up the odd time at United games. So it's not clear whether it's kind of two who want to stay and four who want to sell, or maybe three want to stay, three want to sell. But it's pretty clear that there is some kind of family split and that they don't agree amongst themselves about the best way forward. And yeah, that is one of the big problems. You know, I think people often just think about the Glazers uh, sitting around plotting how much money they're going to make. But I'm absolutely certain that they have a complete disagreement within the family, you know, about what, what to do. And each one of them has their own shareholding. Uh, you know, that's the, their dad bought it. Each one of them inherited something around like 15%-ish and then the rest is kind of floated out there on the stock market. Uh, so, yeah, that is the problem. We're still waiting. It's not dead in the water. There's still things happening. But, yeah, we are obviously going to go into the new season, unfortunately, with the Glazers still as owners. You know, back in November, when they first announced that they were looking into options, I think everybody assumed that within six months the club was going to be sold. But, unfortunately, it's not been that way. And we will definitely go into this new season with them as owners. As I say, the one silver lining is that we have at least managed to get some transfers done and that's got over the line and it hasn't affected our business too much. And at least Eric Ten Hag can move on with that squad and do that work that he needs to do to prepare for the season ahead. I mean, you did mention there about the women's facilities. I mean, yeah, Man United women has been big part of the club and grown massively they had their best ever season I mean that's another side of the club that's definitely going to grow unfortunately we've seen big players leave this summer Onya Baggia Spanish international and then yeah Alessia Russo is the big one I mean I kind of mentioned this a few podcasts ago but it's now confirmed that she has gone and signed for Arsenal which is a real killer and you know I'm not being I said shit traitor and made semi like tongue in cheek jokes about this but it is pretty disappointing to see her go to a other UK rival you know if she'd gone abroad I could have kind of understood it but to see her go to Arsenal is not great and yeah we haven't bought in any new players the Women's World Cup is obviously going on at the moment uh, I've been trying to watch a fair bit of it as much as I can but the kind of kickoff times are not great or like conflicting with work and stuff like that because it's out in Australia uh, I mean, I know women's football has obviously been a big thing in USA for a while. Uh, do you normally catch some of the Women's World Cup? Yeah, I usually do, but the times here this time have been awful. They're either like really early in the morning or, you know, the middle of the night. So it's it's been really hard. I didn't watch the last USA match against the Netherlands. That was or not. The, I don't even remember. They played Portugal, right? Uh, they I think that was at like three in the morning, so I didn't watch that. Right. But I watched the other two. They were at nine p.m. and. One was like 10.30 a.m., if I remember correctly. But, um, yeah, it's just been tough. I, I actually love the Women's World Cup. It's like one of my favorite sporting events, but I just haven't been able to watch enough of it because the times are awful. Like, you get either games at 9 p.m. if you're lucky, or if you're lucky, you have a slow morning, you can catch one at like 8 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. or something. Yeah, here mostly it's the kind of, you know, breakfast time-ish and around then. And yeah, I've watched bits and bobs and a lot of highlights. Uh, the knockouts have just finished. It's actually been a really great tournament. Yeah. There's been some big surprises. Uh, big teams, Brazil, Germany have been knocked out. Uh, minnows like Morocco, Jamaica have gone through, which is great to see. So a lot of these smaller teams going on there. I mean, for Man United women in particular, there was six of our women were out of the World Cup, three with England Lionesses who are still there, one with Norway, uh, Boa Risa who's still there. But yeah, we had two Canadian players and they were a bit of a shock who went out the tournament because they're actually the current 
Olympic champions, but uh, they got knocked out by, I forget now, Australia maybe, mm. I think. Yeah, it was Australia. Australia and Nigeria went through from that group. And in fact, Nigeria will now play England Lionesses because Canada went out. Is it coming uh, home, Nick? It's actually quite funny. Is it coming um, home? I had quite low expectations before this tournament because a lot of big England players were injured. Uh, Leah Williamson, the captain, right, right. Beth Mead, who was the Golden Boot winner at the Euros, Fran Kirby, and another one has got injured, Kira Walsh, who plays out at, uh, she's either at Barcelona or Bayern Munich, but she is one of the big England players, got injured as well. But England have kind of slowly rolled on through this tournament. They're one of only three teams who won all their group games, so they're doing pretty well over there. Uh, all of our players have played. Ella Toon has started a few games. Katie Zellum came in for this last game. And Mary Earp starts every game over there in net. So, yeah, they have got a good chance. This tournament is wide open. As I said, I actually thought Germany were pre- pre-tournament favourites and they've gone out. USA have flattered to deceive. Um, it's funny, actually, because they'd kind of done the timings, I think, to try and give USA yeah. a primetime USA slot. But they ended up coming second in the group. Yeah. So, again, it's not going to be at a good time for USA. Uh, so, yeah, this tournament is wide open. And as I said, it's just nice to see some upsets. So, yeah, Nigeria, Morocco, Jamaica all going through for the first time. Japan have been great, uh, too. So, yeah. Japan have actually been the most impressive yeah. team. They smashed Spain as yeah. well, who was also yeah. like kind of the second favourites. Very technical team, our previous champions. And, yeah, so I hope our United women scouts are on the lookout for some of this talent coming out of Africa, coming out of Asia. Colombia as well have looked very good in South America. So, yeah, there's definitely some players. And we need to replace these players because, as I said, Man United women had their best ever season last year, qualified for the first time ever for the Champions League, uh, went to Wembley in the Women's FA Cup final, but big players have gone out and need to be replaced. So, yeah, men's team have done some work, and, yeah, hopefully the women's team are looking at this World Cup. Um, we will then round off by looking, you know, the last two games, as I say, pre-season, we've got Lons and Athletic Bilbao, one of these games will surely feature what is going to be our first 11 going to the new season. It's not clear which. Uh, I've seen, again, thread on Red Cafe, a lot of the Irish Reds who've got tickets for this Dublin game saying, I'm going to be absolutely gutted if the Academy show up again like they did at Wrexham. But I don't think we'll see anything like that. I think we'll probably see two split squads. I expect that our first team will play at Old Trafford because it is the only Old Trafford pre-season friendly on Saturday. And then I think we'll see a kind of strongish reserve team go out to Bilbao. He could do the opposite. He could put two like mixed teams out in both games. So, I, yeah, I hope we'll he just plays the does. strongest eleven because I think it's important. Um, I understand why he's mixed and matched to this point, and I think it's important. You know, obviously he's got to get everybody fit, not just the starting eleven or, or the you know the top 15, 16 players. But I think it's time to really look. You've brought in hopefully three. Uh, new starting eleven players. You need to get this understanding down on the pitch. You want to get. You want to start off the Premier League season strong. And the start of our campaign is difficult, so you don't have time to just like you know. You're not playing a bunch of teams, the promotion teams, and mid to like. You're playing some of the best teams in the league right from the outset of the season. So um, it, it's important that they hit the ground running. And I think you want to get that those those partnerships all over the park. Um, you know, in sync and, and in order, and especially yeah, Mason Mount yeah. thankfully has played a lot of preseason. That is one good thing. He is slotted in very well, looks very comfortable. 
has already started making good understandings with other midfielders. I expect him to start the season. He'll be fighting with Christian Eriksen for that starting place. I mean, I think Eriksen has had a slow, let's say slow kind of preseason. It's not really. You can just say slow with Eriksen. <laughs> I, I look, yeah. Christian Eriksen had an absolute brilliant first absolute. half of last season. Seemed to run out of steam second half, but that was the thing. We didn't have enough squad players to rotate for him. So Mount coming in now is great. He will still play a big part this season. Uh, Onana has not played that much, but he has at least started yeah. to get in there. Of course, Hoyland hasn't played at all yet. He will surely feature in one of these games and get some minutes. And I, I guess it depends where Martial's at. I don't know if he's ready to be playing over here. I think if Martial is fit to start, he will probably start ahead of Hoyland in the season, I would say, but I don't know where he's at. And I would just be, we never know. And I, yeah, and I would just be nervous because we saw what happened where it's like he'd play brilliantly for 30 minutes, but then he has to come off, and you're just like, well, shit, what the hell are we going to do now? Um, but yeah, I, I just, I mean, look, I, I've seen a lot of like Casemiro's getting a lot of criticism, and it's like, I, look, man, this guy, I think he's earned the benefit of the doubt through his career. Yeah, yeah, he's going to be yeah. fine. He doesn't need preseason. Yeah, you know, some players don't need it, right? Just there, don't worry yeah, about he's him. He's just doing, he's just out there trying things. and yeah. He actually needs the rest. He needs the rest, and he will be absolutely yeah. fine. Rashford as well. He doesn't need that. He needs the rest time. So, so that he can play week in, week out, so that he is fully recovered because he had injuries yeah, they, they towards just need the, the end minutes, of last season. Right? They just need the minutes to be out there and make sure that they're running. And Yeah, yeah. half an hour here and there is fine for them. They do not need that full kind of preseason at all. Uh, it's the likes of Sancho, like you say, the likes of Anthony, who still need to prove themselves, uh, who do need those minutes over there. And some of the fringe players, you know, Eric Ten Hag, I think, is probably still working out exactly which of those players. The likes of Palestri, as I say, uh, Armads, some of the other youngsters who's going to be involved and who's either for sale or needs another loan so yeah, two more games to sort that out uh, we'll see those over there we will do at least one more preseason pod if not two uh, I know I did promise that we're supposed to do a kind of big quiz show still uh, I promised a full Imran stupid game but yeah, getting hold of Imran this summer has been difficult, he's been off on his holidays and things like that but yeah, we will try and grab Imran before this season and do a full like quiz though and we will do more of a kind of season preview podcast before we kick off against Wolves which is actually on the Monday night so it's still 10 days away yet uh, I think that rounds us all off for this show uh, as I say, look out, we will still do at least one if not two more shows before the season actually kicks off and then yeah we'll be back into it i mean uh i am already looking at my fantasy team are you going to join fantasy football this year Oshwin? i think you, you didn't do no, it no i did year. it i might as well have not done it because i just stopped it's i i never keep up i never keep up that's what I'm... to be honest if i actually say to people now because there's always somebody in the league who's absolutely awful and they go oh yeah but i haven't changed my team since august i say well don't bother yeah. entering right do not you're bringing down the level of our whole league so if you're not going to do it don't even waste your time but yeah, do it serious business and go for that. I think uh, Col- Colm was the winner out of our podcast last oh, wow. year, I'm pretty sure. I actually forgot to put out, but that's why, yeah, I think Colm that's was how our you know fantasy tried. internal champ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, I've just started to look at that fantasy Premier League. So yeah, 10 days to sort out your fantasy teams. Uh, we will renew the United Hour Fantasy League at some point soon as well. But yeah, that is all from us this week. We will be back soonish. I don't know exactly when. But yeah, see you on the next one. Good night for now. Thank you for listening to United Hour. 
Remember to follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at United underscore hour. Please take the time to leave a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. United Hour is brought to you by the Sports Social Network and our theme song is by Ancient Feelings. To get in touch, please email unitedhour at gmail.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.